Oh, Father, what a great day of worship. My heart has been lifted to the throne. And in one sense, I would just like to continue singing those songs of faith. But we bow for a moment, Lord, to hear you speak. Open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your law. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 400 years ago, there was a Puritan preacher by the name of Thomas Manton. He graduated Oxford at the age of 19, became the chaplain for the famous military and political leader, Oliver Cromwell. Because he was a dissenter, meaning he was not part of the Church of England, he was actually in prison for preaching the gospel of Christ. And he pastored for a while in London. He did a series of sermons on Hebrews chapter 11, the very chapter that we've been going through. And he preached 65 sermons from that one chapter when published in a book was almost 700 pages. I've only preached 11 sermons <laughs> in Hebrews 11. And God willing, we're going to finish today. Oh, one other important fact, Thomas Manton never finished preaching from Hebrews chapter 11, but we hope to do so today. And as I read this chapter, there are a few words that I find haunting and rather dramatic. It's somewhere in the middle, and it says, and others of them, dot, dot, dot. We'll get to that in a moment. But it's one of the most important truths to learn in the Christian life. And we'll see it today from Hebrews chapter 11. Now, if you have your Bibles, chapter 11, verse 32. And what more shall I say? The writer of Hebrews comments. I don't have time to talk of Gideon and Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel and the prophets. Oh, preachers love verse 32. I don't have time to tell you anymore. Now that sometimes is a phrase that means there's a lot more to be said and I wish I could say it. Other times it's code for I don't have anything more in my notes and it's time for me to quit. So we simply say like, I don't have time to tell you anymore. But it's interesting, the people, the individuals, 17 of them, that the author picked out, including these that he just races over with a quick comment. These are heroes of the faith. They're actually, uh, he's going to group this last focus into individuals and to deeds. He's no longer going chronological but he is picking out some well-known individuals. Five are judges, one is a king, and then he groups together the prophets. And I think the point that is being made is rather simple. That history shows an ever-moving progress of faith from the very beginning, from Abraham to the one who came into the city of Jerusalem 
to whom people shouted, Lord, save us now. It's interesting to see this continuous stream of faith that flows to Christ. And that's where we're going to end as we come to this important section of Scripture. Now, it's also important for us to realize that everyone mentioned in this chapter are individuals who are flawed. Did you notice that? Does that encourage you? Am I the only one that gets encouraged? Not that I rejoice in people's failure, but I rejoice that frail people can know God and be used of God because if they cannot, I'm in big trouble. John Calvin put it this way, mentioning Gideon, Barak, Samson, others. Thus in all the saints, something reprehensible is ever to be found. Yet faith, though halting and imperfect, is still approved by God. There is therefore no reason why faults, the faults we labor under, should break us down or dishearten us, provided that by faith we continue steadfast in our calling. So some of these people you know rather well and some we don't know very well. Look at verse 33. Now we have... We go from the individuals to the deeds. It was through faith that they conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and obtained promises, and shut the mouths of lions. Now, he's not naming people, but we might make a few suggestions. When you talk about conquering, you think of the military leaders or the judges like Gideon conquering the Midian, Midianites and Barak along with Deborah bringing justice. Speaking about administering justice, that was the role of Samuel, who was something like a king and a judge and a priest administering justice, who gained promises. Remember that phrase, they gained promises. And shut the mouths of lions. Take a guess on that one. Daniel? Right? I mean, it's a guess. But there, I'm sure, were others. Or verse 34, quench the fury of the flames, escape the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength, and who became powerful in battle, and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. And so we could mention Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who quenched the flames. Or David, who often, with others, escaped the sword. You'll read that in the Psalms quite often. Thank you for your mercy, you delivered me, and I escaped death by way of the sword. From weakness turned to strength. Now, I don't know who he's referring to, but Gideon's a great example of weakness turned to strength. And then, unfortunately, <laughs> to weakness once again. Powerful in battle, Jephthah is just one of the ones mentioned. And the women receiving their dead back to life reminds me of the story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath, who said to David, O man of God, have you come to my house to have my son killed? And David, by God's power and grace, raised him back to life. 
But now notice in the middle of verse 35, and here's the dramatic shift. And there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Those are the unforgettable, evocative words that slap us in the face as we've been reading about heroes, but now we have to come face to face with heartbreak in the same column of heroes of the faith, which should teach us as believers that everything in our life that is done by faith does not result in what the world would call success or triumph. After all, if faith is unseen, that is faith sees what is unseen, could not the victories of faith be unseen by the eyes of the world? And what we call a tragedy, and it is, may be an actual triumph in the purpose and plan of God. I'll give you one illustration. Jesus Christ, delivered up for our sins, raised again for our justification. I'll just go through this list. Again, it is rather shocking. Some were tortured, refusing to be released. That might refer to the Maccabeans and the revolt that took place between the Old and New Testament, not really discussed in our scriptures. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. I'm reminded that the least thing that these people endured was, was the mocking, which is probably the greatest offense you and I must endure. And this might be referring to Isaiah, verse 36, who was chained and imprisoned. Some were put to death by stoning, like Zechariah, 2 Chronicles tells us. Some were sawn in two. By the way, this is all by faith. <laughs> Some were sawn in two. That's the tradition of Isaiah. And they were killed by the sword. Compare verse 37 with what we saw back in verse 34. Some escaped the sword and some were killed by the sword and both were heroes of the faith. I ask you now, where is your health and wealth gospel? It's obliterated by the simple reading of the scriptures. For everyone is not ordained to triumph by faith in ways that we deem success. Others are called to endure the atrocities we mentioned by faith. The scripture says they were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated, you know, it's hard for us in America to read these things and even think that it's possible, but go to other places in the world as we hear daily from Ukraine. Go to places in Afghanistan and Iran and see what believers have to endure. This is exactly what it is. Destitute, persecuted, mistreated. Why? Because they believe in Jesus. And verse 38, the world was not worthy of them. 
I think that's probably true of all the people in this chapter, but it's especially true from those mentioned in the middle of verse 35 to this point. The world is not worthy. We have our heroes, we have our Christian celebrities, which is sad. And we have a tendency to think that they are greater than others, which they are not. And this chapter puts everyone on the same level. Before the cross of Christ, we are all sinners and any victory is by faith. And all that God allows to happen in our life has a divine purpose and it is for his glory. Not everyone is dressed with earthly success. Not everyone is crowned with triumph and glory, but God knows. Think of the faithful martyrs in the book of the Revelation. I hope it doesn't come to that in our country, but it could. And I see how it could happen more today than I've ever seen before. I just pray that it won't. But if it does, will we endure? It also says that they wandered in the desert, mountains, living in caves, holes in the ground. No wonder verse 16 of chapter 11 says, God is not ashamed to be called their God. He is proud of them. Verse 39 says, they were all commended for their faith. Both the earlier Hebrew, uh, uh, heroes and uh, the horrible heartbreaks, which are still stories of heroes, they were all commended for their faith. It's a Greek word from where we get our English word martyr. And it means the idea of witness. It's the idea that there was some type of testifying that this was admirable. Commendations. The fireman received multiple commendations for her bravery. Commendations coming from God. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. If you go all the way back to verse one of chapter 11, this is what the ancients were commended for, faith. Seeing what cannot be seen and going boldly forward. Kudos to these people. May we extol and laud and honor their names. May we lift them up as examples to our kids and talk about the reward that God promised and gives. These were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Literally, it says, none of them received the promise. The definite article is there. None of them received the promise. Well, wait a minute. Back earlier in verse 13, it says that they received promises. Or they did not receive the promises. Verse 33, they obtained what was promised. And now they don't receive the promise. And I think the answer is rather simple. God has many promises. 
And some of these people, like David, received part of the promise. He received a kingdom. And the woman's received, the, the mothers receive their dead back to life. But we're talking about the promise here. Definite article. The word promise is used about 17 times in the book of Hebrews, and it often has the definite article. Unfortunately, our English translations sometimes smooth that over, I think to the detriment of our understanding, because we're talking about the promises of God in general, and when we talk about the promise, it's rather specific in the book of Hebrews. It's the promise given to Abraham. And those people labored, Abraham labored and did not receive the promise. He was looking for a country, he was looking for a city, but it's bigger than that. In fact, verse 40 says, since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us they would be made complete. So there's a sense in which all that they received and all that they accomplished It was not finalized. It was not ultimately fulfilled or completely fulfilled. And many of them died without receiving the promise. Many of them died without receiving some of the other promises too. But what is the promise? The promise is something better, verse 40. And all through the book of Hebrews, that something better is the new covenant, Sealed with the blood of Jesus Christ. He's the promise. What is the promise of Abraham? Paul makes it abundantly clear. It is the fact that we are going to receive forgiveness and grace through Jesus Christ alone. And they never received that promise. But the writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of people who have left Judaism and put their faith in Jesus and now they're thinking about going back because they're under persecution. And so he says, let me remind you of the great heroes of the faith who accomplished many things, but many of them endured horrible things because the promise had not come to them. But we have received, in some sense, the promised one. And the new covenant now says the old is gone and has been replaced by the new, which is by faith in Jesus Christ. And yet, there's a sense in which we have not received all of the promise. Because part of the promise that will make us complete is described in the book of the Revelation, chapter 11, verse 15, when the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Sounds like we should write a song about that (laughs) and say hallelujah. And he shall reign forever and ever. He hasn't started that yet. His reign is in regions, in hearts, in places, but not all over the earth. The kingdom of this world is still much influenced by the God of this world. But one day, the promise 
fulfilled in the coming of Christ and the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, one day the promise will be completely fulfilled and we'll see it. Right now we walk by faith and not by, yeah, sight. Or do we? (laughs) I walk a lot by faith. I get discouraged when I don't see things happening. And I read this chapter and I remember Many of the great ancients never saw what was promised to them, and they never saw Christ. We're living after Christ. Are we not? Palm Sunday, his coming into Jerusalem is a historic fact, and his death on Friday, and his resurrection on Sunday, we live post-resurrection. And think about it. If the dim light of the old covenant gave them the strength to believe and go forward how much more should the light of the new covenant the sun, the sun of righteousness shining on our lives and in our hearts how much more should we live by faith and become victorious by faith During their pilgrimage, they did not see the glorious fulfillment of those promises since Christ was the one that would bring them to reality. We've seen some of them. But they, with a penetrating eye of faith, saw him who was invisible and believed the promises and went boldly forth to conquer or to die. All for Jesus Christ. Commendable faith. What is commendable faith? What is a faith that is to be honored and praiseworthy and noticed for its achievements? Well, I think it's the faith that can be found in chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, who are the witnesses? Well, there are people sitting in heaven in the grandstands and watching us run and encouraging us to go forward. Well, that may be, although that sounds a little weird to be watched all the time. But I tell you what it directly is. The cloud of witnesses is the group of people that we've just studied in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, being surrounded with their testimony. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with endurance, perseverance, the race marked out for us. How do we do that? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the pioneer, the architect of our faith and the one who completes it. There's that word perfect again. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. When he came in on Palm Sunday, as we call it, into Jerusalem, there was great joy. But he looked beyond the joy to what he had to endure. And then beyond the endurance to what he would then enjoy. The redemption of every soul that puts their faith and trust in him. 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and then after the cross, where is he? He has sat down, finished, it is finished, at the right hand of God the Father. What, this is like the fifth time that the writer of Hebrews has mentioned it? Again, if I would hand in an essay like this to my English teacher back in my college days, I'd see all kinds of red marks. You've already said this. You're repeating yourself. Don't say it again. <laughs> but God says it again and again and again and again because he wants us to see Jesus. Where? High and lifted up and victorious. How do you see that? With the eyes of faith. Why do you see that? Consider him, verse 3, who endured such opposition from sinful people against himself so that you do not grow weary and so that you do not lose heart. The victories of faith are not always evident and visible. But the real things are not seen just the temporary. And so we've got to live by faith. But I can't see what's going to happen. Maybe not what's going to happen today or even tomorrow, but you know what's going to happen in the end, don't you? Because of the death and resurrection of Christ, we know what's going to happen. This world, the kingdom of it, is going to become the kingdom of Christ. And he will rule on earth just as he rules in heaven. And that day is coming. And that was the promise throughout the book of Hebrews. It was a very long and seldom used trail crossing Nevada's Amargosa Desert way back in 1932. Along the trail there was a little spot where a tin can was wired to an old water pump handle and attached to the can, a letter. There hadn't been any water for miles and there wasn't gonna be any more, more water for miles, but there was hope in the letter connected to the tin can. It read, the pump is all right as of June 1932. I put a new sucker washer in it and it should last for five years. But the washer dries out and the pump has got to be primed and under the white rock I buried a bottle of water out of the sun, cork end up. There's enough water in that bottle to prime the pump, but not if you drink it first. Pour about one-fourth of the bottle into the pump and wait a couple minutes to let the water soak the leather. Then pour the rest in medium fast and pump like crazy. <laughs> You'll get water. Have faith. Now, wouldn't all of us be tempted, dry and thirsty, dehydrated, to get water for ourselves, and maybe drinking that bottle of water ourselves might have gotten us through, but we would have had more 
if we would just prime the pump and we'd be able to leave more for others to follow. If you drink the bottle first, you cheat yourself of abundant water and hurt everyone who comes after you. After you've had enough water, fill up the bottle, cork end up, and put it under the white rock. We have water in Christ. Drink it. And urge others to drink it as well. And by faith, some of the journey will be dry and difficult, but we must take God at his word. And when he says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved, I guarantee you, by heaven itself, you will be saved. Let's pray. Oh, Father, help us today as our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, to see what cannot be seen with our human eyes. Let us see in faith that God is and that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him by faith. And any soul that turns from relying upon their own goodness and is grieved and turns away from their offenses against the holy God and turns to Christ who died on the cross for all of those offenses. Any soul who turns to Christ to look and live will be saved. For he is the king who came to reign over a kingdom and over a people who belong to him. Oh Lord, I pray that today many hearts might turn to you and say, Lord Jesus, save me. In your name we pray, amen.